Hello, you're listening to History and Hope, a Baptist perspective on history, culture, and theology. I'm Mark West. And I'm Matthew Lyon. Today is an interview with Peter Lee. So today we have with us Peter Lee, who is his official resume. He got a THM at Southern, where I went to school. He's currently working on a PhD at Midwestern Theological Seminary, which is in, is that in Kansas City? That's in Kansas City. Kansas City. And he's a bivocational pastor at Bethel Korean Presbyterian Church. But you are personally a Baptist, correct? That's right. That's right. All right. Um, since this is a Baptist podcast, we got to try to get it on right. the same page. But uh, and actually, I would, I'd, I'd be interested to hear um, yeah. you talk a little bit about the immigrant church and sure. denominations and stuff. Yeah. But you're also married and have three kids and are a brown belt in Brazilian jiu jitsu. Right. Which is important um, because that's how we met. Uh, so I love telling the story because it's just it's funny. So I take yeah. jujitsu at a, a local gym, and there there's some Christians there, but it's it's not exactly a church group. Mm. So you just kind of just assume that everyone there is either not a Christian or not like you. Uh, so I'm a blue belt, which is it takes a couple years to get that. So one day, man, this is what three years ago. Has it been that long already? I, well, they were in the old building. We're upstairs right. in the old building. Yeah. Right. yeah. So we finished, um, you know, wrestling, grappling, or just kind of hanging out on the mat afterward, talking. And so I'm talking to Peter. I never met him before. And a third person who we both knew was like, "Hey, aren't you guys both preachers?" And I'm like. No, he said, aren't you both Christians or something? I can't remember what exactly. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a preacher. And you always assume that the person you're talking to is like Greek Orthodox or yeah. something way out there. So you're like, yeah, you just use general terms. Like, I'm a Christian. And Peter was like, I'm a Christian too. Like, yeah. oh, okay, well. And then the other guy, it was Marshall. Uh, he was like, I think you guys are both pastors. And I'm like, golly. I'm like, yeah. He's like, what denomination? I'm like, I'm a Baptist pastor. And Peter was like, so am I. I'm like, okay. Um, I'm going to school at Southern. And then you were like, at that time, you're like, I'm going to school at Southern. Yeah. <laughs> so we were both going to school at Southern, both pastoring, both in the same city and both taking. You are about 10 years ahead of me in the jujitsu journey. So we're not quite on the same. Basically, I'm like trying to graduate high school in jujitsu and you're working on your PhD. <laughs> well, in hindsight, so, you're 10 years ahead of me in the PhD part. So. So we're reversed, actually. So. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and not much has changed on my end as far as skills. So so we see each other. Well, we see each other as often as I go to the gym because you are much more regular. Um, but, yeah, we always have interesting conversations there because most of the conversations at Jiu-Jitsu Gym are about Jiu-Jitsu or something else. And we're like, hey, what are you working on your uh, you know dissertation about or how's church going or so. In between uh, you choking me out on a regular basis. I try so not. You, wanna, you are one of the nicer upper belts when I roll. You are much nicer than, than some of the other ones. And you're certainly nicer than Noel. Is, <laughs> Am I? For a, gym, for a gym owner, he 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 is not nice when he wrestles with young lower belts. So anyway. Um, but on that topic, since you... So you, how long have you been doing jiu-jitsu? Um, I think maybe like... Uh... Give and take. I think Allison was about three. Uh, I'm gonna say almost 15 years now. Yeah. 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 So just for context, to get a brown belt, it takes 
eight to 15 years to yeah. get. I guess it it's depends like on how often you go, right? That's it true. Depends how committed you are, and you know, yeah. people like so, us who are just hobbyists, and you know, would take that right. long. Yeah, yeah. You, if you go two or three times a week, it'll take you about 10 or 15 years to get a black belt. Yeah. Um, if you go, so I'd be interested to hear your perspective on how jujitsu is related to your life. I haven't been done this. Have you been doing it this long? Pretty committed. Yeah. yeah. Like I know what it's done for me personally. For me, it's like meditation, mm-hmm. which sounds funny because you know you're actively having people try to hurt you. Yeah. But when I'm on the mat, what I'm not thinking about while someone's trying to choke me is the problems at church or mm-hmm. in the ministry or how bad the attendance was on Sunday or the COVID restrictions we got to work around. So for me, when I do jujitsu, it's like really relaxing. Like I'm, I, my mind is totally disconnected and checked out and just totally like working zero. Mm-hmm. Um, my body's working a hundred, but my mind is totally relaxed. So I, I'd be curious how, how you, what your experience Yeah. Is. So it's kind of a uh, funny story. Um, so I told you that I've been married for 18 years and we had Allison, our first child, and it was difficult. It was hard. Uh, we were having some marital issues just because we weren't prepared. We weren't really prepared uh, of raising a child. Now it's kind of naive in, in terms of marriage and things of that nature. So it was one of those things that I just needed some time to myself. I just needed to get out and just forget about things. And mm-hmm. I saw some people doing judo at a local gym. And oh, that sounds like fun being thrown at and just fighting. I decided to do it. Uh, I started messing around with it and I just felt so relieved. I felt hurt the next day, but yeah, for sure. that feeling of just being beaten. I don't know if you ever felt that, but it's just, it feels strange, but it feels like yeah. you're just so focused on that pain that you can't you forget about other things. <laughs> yeah. And, that's how we kind of, I kind of got hooked into it. It's just, I just needed that, my mind to be somewhere else. And I was doing that. I started doing it one day, liked it, went back the next day. And then it just sort of like became a, a regular thing. And that was back in, in Catonsville. Uh, so essentially the, the school was an old school and they were about to close. So an individual came by and he purchased uh, the school and he was teaching Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And it was very similar to, to judo. Yeah. Um, if you don't know the difference, uh, I mean, I think they have similar roots, but uh, mm-hmm. eventually Brazilian jiu-jitsu kind of developed more into the ground game. And it was an easy transition. And that's how I met Noah, in fact. He actually started teaching over there, and that's how we became friends. But that's how that whole journey uh, from judo to jiu-jitsu came along. And, yeah, 14 years later, I'm still doing it. I, yeah. Just, you know, well, I think it, for our listeners, many of whom, maybe most of them are pastors. Yeah. And to be honest, the pastor culture in America, and especially in conservative churches, is centered around food. Mm-hmm. It's not centered around health. And so there's a huge problem within pastor communities of just health problems. Mm-hmm. based, And I think a lot of large problems based on stress. And, uh-huh. and then so we learn to socialize around food. Then when we're stressed which pastoring stresses you, we go to food or Netflix or anything else. Um, so I think for pastors, they need to hear, like it doesn't have to be jujitsu, even though jujitsu is the best, but 
there's got to be some sort of athletic sport. And you don't have to be good at either. Like, I mean, you know, you've seen me there. I've been in the same belts. I was a white belt for like 10 years, mm. which no one would be a white belt for 10 years of anything. Yeah. So it's not about being good at a sport. Yeah. It's about, like you said, when you, your mind just needs a break. Exactly. Jiu-jitsu, here's, here's my perspective. Jiu-jitsu, the environment is relaxing. It just feels like you can be too uptight in that environment because you're like sprawled out on the floor half the time and you're wearing, you know, pajamas and yeah. just, it's a really relaxed environment, which I think pastors tend to be a little uptight sometimes because of the subject matter we deal with. So, uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know about you, but also often when you, in that church setting, uh, and not to knock off on Christians. I mean, I'm a Christian, of course, but sometimes it's nice to, uh, associate and talk to people that are non-Christian, there's a way to just kind of approach them and just get a few for how do they talk, you know, yeah. what is it that they're thinking. Yeah, and it's yeah. a different community and jujitsu in itself, there's a community behind that. So it's almost, it feels like a, a church, but a, a yeah. jujitsu community <laughs> and that's all they talk about. So you get, yeah, you get people of different backgrounds. Uh, it's very diverse, right? Um, at least uh, yeah. when I go to church, it's a Korean church. So basically, when you see a lot of Korean Christians, there's, it's very homogeneous. But jujitsu, you get people from different backgrounds, different colors, and it's very, very mixed. Very. I would say that jujitsu is one of the more racially and ethnically diverse yeah. um, gyms that I've seen. Like, it's it, it regularly draws Latino, Black, Asian, um, all sorts of different backgrounds, and white people too. Yeah. Our gym is funny. Like, you don't know who's on the mat. We got a three percenter that comes, <laughs> that trains. Then we got guys who are like Black Lives Matters all the time. And then when Republicans, Democrats, some people, it, it's all over the place. And so I think it's good when you you kind of learn how to interact with people. And then I don't know how you have, you as a pastor. I know when I start going there, they're always surprised to find out you're a pastor because they have this this mental image of pastors and, and whatever their mental image is, those pastor, right, a pastor doesn't come to jiu-jitsu gyms in their mind, which I think is helpful for, for us to think about. Like, why is there such a, why is there this image that when they find out you're a pastor, they're like, that's weird. Like, why are you here? Like, that's surprising. Um, hopefully it must have sort of changed your mind a little bit about pastors. I know Noah was like, what first, the instructor, he was like, yeah, pastors are the worst, talking to me. He's like, pastors are the worst. All they want is money, and all they're doing is driving nice cars. And it was like right about that time we walked outside, I had like a 2005 positive three. I'm like, yeah, here's my car. And he's like, huh. So I was just kind of like breaking this sort of prosperity televangelist mold. I mean, uh, obviously, Noah has some history. I think uh, the guy that, um, that he's part of the association, when, uh, Renato, I guess he's yeah. evangelical too, and then he was kind of forcing oh, Christianity true. down his throats, and so he kind of felt offended by it. And he's like, "Look, you know, you do what you do, and you know, you're doing great with it. So don't try yeah. to put it down my throat." So, and he kind of got right. a little upset by it. That's why he kind of left the association and came back. But you know, to me, he's always been very polite about it. He jokes yeah. a little bit about it, and he's like, "Hey, don't try to convert me." But it's like, you know, you know, 
Uh, yeah, good for you. And aren't you Jewish? He claims to be Jewish, right? I say, hey, Jesus was Jewish. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, well, it's I think you learn that people who are so Noel's a lot of the guys there they're not they're not only not Christians, but they have no interest in becoming Christians. But you learn that they're not just because they don't want to be a Christian doesn't mean they're hostile to you. So, like right. you know, um, Mark, who I trained, Mark, the instructor, Mark. I was him for years and like he regularly makes jokes about Christianity. Yeah. Like he's very anti-Christian, but he respects me. Yeah. And so it's, it's, I think it's getting out of this Christian bu bubble and realizing you can connect in a different way than politics or religion. You connect through something yeah. like jujitsu, which you, you can only have a fake persona for so long in that kind of environment where you're just pushed to the max. You get to know people and you can still maintain friendships and connections that's without right. Without having to, and you can try to push your religion, yeah. but it, it doesn't go very far. Yeah, I mean, I find it to be a great medium, right? So, well, if you did not know me, um, it would be a little hard for me to be friends with you. I mean, if you just kind of generalize me as a Christian and you had this negative perspective about Christians, then obviously we wouldn't be talking. But because we're yeah. doing something that we enjoy and we're teaching each other and learning from each other, now, hey, now. We could be friends and we can talk about these things at the same time. You respect me. I respect you. And you're willing to listen. I think Mark is, I'm pretty sure he knows I'm a Christian. And mm -hmm. uh, we, you know, he, we never really talked about um, Christianity per se. I mean, I, maybe I'm, I'm going to touch the subject uh, a few times. But he was never disrespectful to me. I, I, I never knew that he was hostile to Christians, so to be honest with you. I mean, that's the first yeah. time I've ever heard that. Well, he's, he's the kind of guy who doesn't have like this false sense of propriety like he's not he doesn't pretend to be polite when he doesn't want to so he he kind of i think he teases me a little bit because i came in as a white belt under him and so you know as a white belt you get a lot more hazing um so he would make jokes but i he kind of learned that we both learned like we don't have to agree on that and we yeah. can still yeah but yeah it is it's having something else and honestly that's one of the reasons i stuck with it one of the reasons is yeah. to show that like you know, becoming a blue belt and you as a brown belt, there's a little bit of respect there outside of Christianity that I think builds bridges and just opens doors and just shows yeah. that Christians aren't these sort of isolated, judgmental hypocrites. That's right. That's right. These regular people. Yeah. And um, yeah. And, I so, mean, I, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, that effect too. I'm a little different, right, from the from the norm over there. I'm. I don't think there's that many Asians too in that in, that, in the gym, and to see that, oh, there's a Korean pastor guy that doesn't look like a pastor, but yet he's a pastor and he's doing this and yeah, tries to respect me type of thing. I think uh, I think there's another level too of like, um, you know. Maybe I'm not going to disrespect this guy. They don't have a preconceived notion, perhaps, in the way they do white evangelicals. I don't know. Uh, and that, that's just my yeah. my thought. Here. No, I think it's yeah. So that's what, yeah. I think it's true. Like, um, because white evangelicals have a persona in America, which they've earned for themselves. Yeah. And then they meet you, and you're kind of the same religion, but don't fit any of the categories. And then I think even the two of us, because we talk a lot to Jim. Yeah. It's. I think in their minds, you're like, well, that doesn't make sense either. Like, what's going on here? It just kind of like I think it plants the question at least. That Christianity isn't what you see on the news yeah. or what you heard from one person. And who knows? You, know, you plant seeds and then see what happens. So yeah. I should say, I mean, if you want to try jujitsu, definitely try it out. It's 
it's good for your health. <laughs> you get to Relaxing. meet people, get a beat down, but then at the same yeah. time, if you stick long enough, you start meeting other people out. <laughs> That's true. That's true. There's nothing, nothing more encouraging than staying there for a while and then a new person coming in. You're like, oh, wow, I'm not the new guy anymore. Yeah. I, as for me, it's a lot of this mental health. And we're to the point now where my wife's like, this is not a hobby anymore. This is like a necessary part of your life. You yeah. go to jujitsu to maintain mental stability, mental health. Um, Cause it can be, it can be a problem if you don't have a way to deal with that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, if you're in the Baltimore area and you're curious, we're, we go to the same gym. So we'd love to host you, protect you right. from the, the, all the mean guys, which turns out would be us. Um, now it's, uh, and, and also with jujitsu, there's a jujitsu gym in every city. That's right. Like, they're everywhere and they're yeah. pretty well regulated. That's the thing about jujitsu. It's like, um, you can try to be a fake jujitsu guy, like, but jujitsu is all about like actually doing the wrestling, yeah. like actually going for it a hundred percent. So yeah. you can only fake it for so long before somebody shows up and that's you know, right. Proves that you're not the real person. Anyway, um, this is the least spiritual so far podcast we've had. <laughs> what happens? You get on someone's hobbies, find two people have the same hobby. <laughs> Uh, but no, it is practically speaking, pastors need some sort of physical exercise where they can just take their mind off of the ministry, the problems, exercise the body and, and relax the mind, which is why I don't run. Running seems like the opposite of that. Yeah. It's like I've got nothing to do but think. Yeah, <laughs> well, You're a runner, Mark. How's it for you? That was not my experience. So when I was doing my uh, marathon training, it was I would put on so short runs when i was doing like first time i was training for a 5k i would just listen to music and i wouldn't really be thinking about anything um mm, and okay. then long runs i needed more of a distraction so i started listening to audiobooks so when i was doing hmm. you know 18 miles an audiobook yeah. would be so it was i personally i didn't find i uh i, I got the same effect you were describing with jujitsu by running that makes sense. I, for some reason, when I run, I don't listen to music or anything. I just run, which is a horrible experience for me. There's your like, problem. Think, yeah. You're that's, just, you're just trying to speak. survive, concentrating on your breathing there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so there's tons of sports that, that take so much physical energy that you don't have a lot of leftover energy to, to stress out. Um, Jiu-Jitsu being one, running can be that too. So, but pastors need something other than Netflix and Chick-fil-A. Which we all love, but I'm not grateful. So you are you, you are a vocational pastor at a Korean. Not is it predominantly Korean, or would it be all Korean? And if it's all Korean, could you explain to our listeners why Korean churches exist, yeah, as opposed to non-Korean? Sure. So essentially, Korean churches. This Korean, this particular Korean church existed for maybe I'd say over 40 years now. So uh, it basically tended to be immigrants that first came here to the state of Maryland. So I don't know if you know this, but um, a lot of Koreans are either Presbyterians or Methodists. And just because um, apparently a lot of the, in the early days when Christianity was first uh, became popular, uh, a lot of uh, Presbyterian missionaries and Methodists went to Korea. And that's how they established the church over there and became big. And eventually when a lot of the immigrants started coming to America, they just kind of associated Protestant churches with Presbyterian, even though sometimes they're not even Presbyterian, they're just stick to being Presbyterian. Mm, okay. And 
and they're not particular part of a presbytery or only that kind of short sort of thing. But it's just they associate church with Presbyterianism. Mm-hmm. Just stick the name in there. Yeah. Um, but essentially, the church existed pretty much for these immigrants. And as the church started growing and the um, Korean population started growing, like obviously, they attract a lot of the new immigrants and sometimes they're not even Christians, but because there's a big popular, there's a big number of Koreans in there, they find a way to, hey, these people might be able to help me out here and this and that. And that's why they, they're very popular and they attract uh, a lot of perhaps non-Christians, but Koreans. And, and so that affects some of them. Um, they, they become Christians and they just. Mm-hmm start coming to the church. So the church serves in that particular fashion. Well, so what happened, what happens then it's that a lot of the children of these immigrants still uh, they'll attend the church and that becomes that becomes your sort of um, church from childhood, just like you Mark, you kind of grew up in the church with yeah with Matt. And now there's this divide now. You have this English speaking second generation Koreans and you have this first generation Koreans and there's this sense of like we're not the same we, we look the same but now we think differently and I don't yeah. truly understand the Korean language very well our parents speak it but and I kind of sort of understand it, but yet I can't understand the Korean sermons and things of this nature so then they have a Korean ministry and English ministry and that's what we're part of uh, what we call the English ministry of the Korean church. Okay, so Bethel then has two services, like a Korean speaking and then an English language? Well, the church is big enough that they have actually, uh, I think, five services. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, they have one service really early in the morning. They have a, uh, they have our service and the English speaking service. And I'll take it back. They actually have four, four services. No, one, two. Yeah, four services. So, and they have two services after our service. So, and oh, well, actually, I mean, yeah. what time are those services? Because I always want to visit other churches, but they're always at the same time as our yeah, church. Once it starts, I think the the first one starts at eight a.m. and uh, you get a lot of the elderly, a lot of the older folks still come into that one. Yeah. Then we have the English. Uh, ministry service that starts at 9.45 and then goes until 11 and then uh, there's the 11.30 which I mean, which is the main service for the Korean ministry and after that I think at 1 o'clock there's a service for the young adults the Korean ministry young adults which essentially that's a, a different crowd too there's a lot of um, Korean students that come in just to attend Hopkins or University of Maryland and they're looking for a church, oh. so, but they're also looking for people of their own age. And they end up coming to this church and they have a, their own service at one o'clock. That's in Korean. That's in Korean, yeah. 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 So do you, um, yeah, so we were just, I guess, two weeks ago, three weeks, I, I don't remember how long it was. We, I was over at your church for the rally um, right after the, sort of the terrorist event down in Atlanta, right? Where the, the Korean, Korean and Chinese women were killed. Um, there was a rally put on by, do you know, do you remember who it was put on by? I know the church hosted it. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the organization. Asian Christian organization. And... I think it's Asian American Christian Collective. Okay. AACC. 
That's what AACC. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, um, I remember it was doubled. So I remember when I was there, there were it, it's there were a lot of young people speaking, um, and of course they were speaking in English. So mm-hmm. with how did that work um, with the young people? Yeah, is there a sort of a community across the language barrier, or is that is that a pretty large divide? Uh, what do you mean a a community? Well, actually, I, sh- I should ask how many of those people speaking from your church. I know some of them weren't, but actually none of them. Oh, <laughs> they were from, yeah, they were from different churches. Oh, okay. They, okay. Yeah, the church quit just basically just allowed them to use the the parking lot space. So uh, this group came by and asked the senior pastor if they could uh, utilize that space. They just needed a space to to speak, and apparently the church said, "Fine, go ahead, do it." Yeah. And yeah, and then you get Daniel and uh, yeah. One of the other folks that can, one of the other girls that came in to speak, but yeah, I don't know any of them. I didn't know any of them. Okay, so there was just yeah. local. Yeah, I know the the AACC. I think Ray Chang is the director. I think it's based out of DC. Okay, because that was the main one was down in DC. Uh, yeah, so that was um for me it was very interesting to go to that one yeah. just to be supported, but also to see the dynamics of a different community. So mm-hmm. I, it's, I think this is what's difficult for our listeners to, to be able to, to grasp that there's a need for Korean ministries and Korean churches. At the same time, there should be a dissatisfaction with that divide. I think what a lot of pastors say is there should only be one church. We sh- there shouldn't be a white church and a, in church and a black church. And while that is sort of a fact, yeah. it ignores the realities that okay, you just moved from Korea. You're not going to your local independent Baptist church or your local Southern Baptist church because one, they probably wouldn't welcome you. Um, two, you wouldn't really understand not just the language, which is a big deal, but also the culture. It's culture yeah. shock. And so I think I think our listeners need to just sort of hear how there should be a little bit, and I know I'm, I have this tension where I don't like that there's a need for multiple churches, ethnic churches, but also recognizing that there is a need for them. Right. And that if we don't sort of carry that tension, then we can, well, I think what will happen is what has happened. Most conservative evangelical churches pretty divided really and racially between like a white conservative church and a Korean church. There's, there's not a lot of connections. Um, And I think part of it's like, well, there shouldn't be a a divide. Well, the Korean church starts to divide. It wasn't, it wasn't created when they come up over here. Uh, yeah. So, so in your experience there, what's important to the Korean church? Like what issues are sort of pressing? Cause every, every ethnic group, every racial group, every cultural group, a certain thing that they're really concerned about. Yeah, I mean, I think not much different from uh, a lot of the issues that um, you face in your church. Obviously, the the cultural war, the cultural issues in terms of, you know, the um, LGBTQ issues and things of that that that, that nature, um, marriage, and everything that you guys face, uh, we face yeah. too. It's just the way we deal with it. Sometimes, perhaps a little different. Uh, obviously, the issues of racism. Um, they always been there, but the younger generation they treat it differently than the older generation does, right? At least mm. uh, 
from my perspective too, I'm, I'm, I'm older, I'm 46. Uh, I grew up in, in New Jersey, in New York area. I mean, we, I have a different context from a lot of these uh, millennials and young uh, people that, that attend our church. Um, they perhaps haven't been subjected to the kind of racism that I have. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the attitudes are different. So they want to ask questions. They want to, they don't know. Sometimes they don't know how to deal with it. I deal with it in a different way that they do. So often, sometimes I don't know what they're feeling, how they're feeling. And I have to learn. Um, I have to try to sympathize with what they're going through. Uh, so, I mean, th- 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 those issues are there. Those issues are real. And they often ask questions and, you know, just like marriage too, often marriage is ostracized in the Korean community and people often don't want to talk about it and they just want to look good and say, hey, I don't have any issues, uh, marriage issues. So that's very taboo to talk about uh, certain things like that. So even if you're having problems, there's no sort of like uh, ministry for divorced people or ministry for, mm. for people that are having marriage issues and things of that nature. So a lot of people are there to fend for themselves and that becomes a uh, a problem a lot of times and that's you know the community church gets criticized like you know you guys have this culture of not wanting to talk about it you don't deal with it you know how come you guys are not talking about it? No, there's nobody to help no no one to help so i mean the issues are there they're real right yeah 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 well it's interesting because just our last episode or our last interview was with a pastor talking about pastoring black people mm-hmm. now we're talking about some korean people and kind of the advice council was a little bit the same in both cases like people are people yeah. And the best way to pastor them is to listen to them. Yeah. Listen to their problems. It's not this sort of alien culture. It's just different. Yeah. And that if you would just listen to people, in other words, if you would care about people enough to listen to them, yeah. you'll discover what's important to them and, and recognize that you just don't understand even within, because I think from the outside, a lot of people are like, well, a Korean church, everyone must be the same there. Mm. And really it's like <laughs> only from your perspective. Yeah. Once you get into a ministry, you realize like, man, there's a lot going on here that I don't know about. Right. And you have to, just have to listen to people and, and yeah. actually care for them. Yeah. And of course, the the, um, the differences in generation too, the way we think, I mean, that's that's there too. Just because you're Korean doesn't mean that we, right. we know everything that's going on with people with different ages. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Um, and I, th- I think especially with an immigrant church, the generational gap is significant. So for my generation and the older generation, we still kind of grew up in the same place in the same culture. It's just age difference. Whereas with an immigrant church, it's almost coming from a different country. Yeah. One generation comes from one country and then the next generation is growing up in a different country. So you have this extra level of division mm-hmm. or complication um, that would require a lot more, insight i guess or wisdom yeah to navigate yeah I, you know so it's that's the only really way to to understand them is to be immersed in the, in the setting right you get to figure out the ins and outs like any other ministry per se but uh, you know the, the korean church even if it isn't for the immigrants too uh, often and it was for my case for example i wasn't a christian until you know early in my marriage when we were having issues and things of that nature and a friend of ours um he he was a christian and one day he decided to to come to our house he was in new york he's like you know i i get this uh, conviction that i need to come to you i know you're having some issues let me talk to you it's like you want to come to church with me and i was like uh i guess we can try it out uh, you know whatever you know 
And my first thought was, you know what? I'm not going to go to a white church. I don't feel comfortable going there. And there's this church down the street. There's a Korean church. Maybe you can try that. You know what I mean? So it has this benefit that uh, for a lot of us who are, even though we are Korean, um, second generation, um, it takes a little bit of that barrier away knowing that at least these folks, though they're Christians, they're Koreans, or at least they understand a little bit of, you know, of who we are and our background. So it attracts, right? And there's that, there's that, that yeah. positive side of it too. So, yeah, well, it's building connections. I think Paul did it in the scriptures. He was very clear, like, here's who I am. Here's my background. Here's my experience. Here's why I care about people um, based on just a, He's a Pharisee, he's a, a tribe of Benjamin. He has a love for the Jewish people. It's yeah. a way to connect with people that is a, I think it's a blessing. It's not a problem. I think people need to realize like there's a, there's a benefit that God has given certain people to be able to connect with people that honestly, we're not going to be able to connect with as a white person. Yeah. And instead of being like, well, you know, I, it should just be the church say like, we're not connecting with these communities for a lot of different reasons. So God is going to send people who can. And then we sort of celebrate that and encourage to connect with it as much as we can, but recognizing you're not going to be able to reach everybody. And there needs, it's like jujitsu, like that can be a bridge that wouldn't exist. I mean, you know, a lot of those guys at the gym don't have time for these sort of typical straight laced Christians who are not comfortable in sort of a physical environment. Yeah. They just need, they just don't respond to that. So I think God, we should celebrate when God brings diversity, yeah. knowing that that's just another way people can be connected together. And then also do our part to cross barriers. And just for our listeners, like the barriers, not on the other side, right, right. pastor, the barriers, not on the other side, it's on our side. Right. Um, and, and I've I, been about five years been working at this not exactly as an example, but just trying. There's a, a huge amount of surprise when a white pastor reaches out to a non-white or to a Korean or to anybody else. Mm-hmm. There's just, just like, I, like they can't understand it. They've never seen it before, which is such a shame. So I think just knowing the division does not come from the Korean church. The division doesn't come from the Chinese church or whatever else. It, it comes from the other side of the culture. Um, oh, I was talking, Sung Joe was over the other day and we were talking and so he's Korean, mm-hmm. and, but I think he ministered in a Chinese church. And so we're talking to another person, a white pastor, great guy, great guy. And he's like, yeah, there's a Vietnamese church down the street from me. And Sung was like, great. Yeah. It was like, what does that have to do with me? It was, but it was kind of like, you know, Asian. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you're, you're Korean. They're Vietnamese. It's Asia. It's like, uh, there's a pretty big difference between the millions of people that live in Southeast Asia, like Vietnam and then Korea and China. I mean, we have to recognize that Asian Mm -hmm. is a billions of people term that is, it's like, it's, if you came to America and someone said you were Mexican instead of, from the United States. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, no, no, I'm from the United States. I'm not from Mexico. And they're like, ah, you know, same thing. <laughs> right next to each other. We'd be like, oh, no way. We don't uh, even like being called Canadian. 
as a matter of fact, I made that same mistake when I went to Scotland uh, last <laughs> year. I was like, you know, um, English, Scottish, all the same. They're like, what? <laughs> We're not the same. <laughs> I was sorry, man. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And that's like, that's within the same nation. Like they're part of the UK and there's still yeah. this huge divide. Yeah. And yet, um, and yet white pastors, well-meaning, I'm sure, you yeah. know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. The cultural, economic, all sorts of differences between the Asian countries and their millions or even billions of people yeah. is so big in some cases that it's not even worth really comparing. Um, just right. like we wouldn't compare the United States to maybe Guatemala or Central uh, America, That's um, right. Brazil. Like, yeah, I mean, there's some there's more similarities between America and Guatemala than there are America and, say, Kazakhstan. Sure. So. But maybe you could speak to this because someone mentioned that while there are huge differences within the Asian community, mm-hmm. the Asian experience in America is often very similar. Like how you're treated, whether you're from Vietnam or Korea or from anywhere, you're kind of treated the same way. Yeah. I, the- I think in some ways there is a sort of bond, this camaraderie that we share, at least uh, in the fact that uh, people look at us similarly, they confuse us, right? Whether you're Chinese or or Korean or Japanese or Vietnamese, though we are culturally different. I don't speak their language. I don't know the things that they do in their homes. I don't know how it is in their day-to-day lives. But yet, uh, I guess the whole notion of discrimination and being Asian, we, we, we share that same bond. So um, so with that said, I think as far as that, uh, we tend to, at least that, that becomes a bridge for us to to talk and just to be more comfortable with each other, just because we share that, you know, the whole notion of being prejudiced and we understand what that looks like. So, but that, you know, that's as far as that, but even within, I don't know if you, if you don't know that, and uh, even I think Asian communities too, uh, you know, Japanese and Chinese and Koreans, I mean, they always get along too. <laughs> right. You know, there, there are there are differences in the history and, and obviously, stems back centuries and i don't even understand all that but i just do know from uh, the career perspective that at least from my grandparents and my parents that they have this um, aversion towards japanese and this and that and so yeah um so i was stationed in korea for a year in the army and we would go out and so we would work with korean soldiers they would they would live with us they would work with us um, and we would go out on mission, like training missions out into the countryside of Korea, North Korea, yeah. not, not North Korea, the northern part of South Korea. Well, there's a huge war that went on there. Yeah. So, you, but not just the last one, not just the Korean War. And so you would find these monuments with bullet holes in them. But mm-hmm. a lot of them would be in Japanese. The language would be Japanese. And so I'm like, we're out in the middle of kind of nowhere. And here's a temple or a, a monument to Japanese people in the middle of Korea. And so I remember asking one of the Korean soldiers, like, oh, is there a lot of like shared community between Japan and Korea? And like their reaction was like, those are there because when they came here and killed us, they yeah. put that there. <laughs> like they left it there in mm-hmm. their occupation. And it sort of just opened my eyes to this long history, like you said, hundreds of years. Yeah. Where Japan invaded Korea, occupied. Yeah. And all sorts of problems. Um just with the treatment and you know, it was a, in one sense, it was a long time ago, Yeah, but the effects remain to this day. Right. And it, it helped me understand like 
there's a lot going on that we in the Western world have no idea about, but that yeah. cause a lot of complications. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, going back to that whole idea. So I guess the whole idea of being in some ways discriminated or being treated similarly, I guess we share that with a different, um, uh, different Asian people. So I guess that becomes yeah. sort of like a bond, but as far as my, uh, my experience, I think kind of stands at that. Um, and, no, being older and everything like that, I I try to be friends with everybody. I don't yeah. care if you're black or white or, or whatnot, you know, yeah. <laughs> especially as a Christian too. So, uh, exactly. yeah, otherwise should. I wouldn't be going to know BJJ and be friends <laughs> with you, man. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, and just for our listeners, because some of our listeners live in rural areas, um, you know, places like central Indiana, where it's going to be tough to find diversity just because yeah. of the demographics. No. And so there's there's almost no pressure because like you live in somewhere like D.C., Baltimore, New York. You're pressured. There's a lot of pressure to be diverse. Uh, and that can be good and bad because it can create hypocrisy. But you go out to other places, there's no pressure. And so our listeners need to hear like God created us to be both distinct from each other, but also to be in community with diversity. Right. And it will help you personally. It will help your church. But also it's just kind of the right thing to do. Mm to bridge these gaps. And when you get to the other side of them and you realize we're kind of all the same at one level and there's not really a big difference other than what's been created socially and through experience, it's just a better life. It's just like the life God intended where you don't try to be anybody else. You don't try to be Korean if you're not Korean. Right. (laughs) But you can still have a sense of community. And if you live in a place that's not sort of pressuring that, you're going to have to work really hard at it. Um, um, if you're living in, you know, central Texas or Kentucky or Northern California, the demographics of everywhere, but a lot of places like you have to really go out of your way to meet someone who's not like you. But the Bible is very clear that that's what God wants. And speaking like a huge benefit to me. Um, so on that, you're also creating. So real briefly, if you can, mm-hmm. <laughs> the last thing you ever say to guys get his PhD, real briefly, tell me something. We can't do it. We've got to go on for a while. Um, prize your, your dissertation yet? Yeah, so like, basically, you- yeah, basically I finished all my classes and uh, <laughs> now I'm getting into the dissertation phase. So um, actually my last class, or I'm not sure you call that a class, but it's the uh, a dissertation seminary in which we, we try to hone in into what we're going to actually work on. We get to choose our, our readers uh, for our dissertation and just f- try to flush out that perspective and figure out what is it that you're really, you're really going to write on. So that's where I'm at, trying to figure out which are the primary sources, the texts, and try to get that, that tightened down. So, so what, what focus, what's your PhD focus? So my PhD focus is systematic theology, but I have this bent towards uh, Christian ethics, which I kind of enjoyed. Uh, so, and I, I do like uh, some church history. Um, I, I guess I like everything, but <laughs> I'll stick with uh, <laughs> uh, with that. So, uh, you know, even my PhD, I did a little bit of, you know, ethics with some uh, my 
yeah, the, the thesis with ethics and a historical figure. And I'm trying to kind of do something similar to that uh, with this dissertation, mm. which is essentially on Christian nationalism. And we talked about that on the gym. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So <laughs> Christian nationalism, is, it's been in the news a lot um, as a sort of a big topic. But from talking to you, it's actually a lot more complicated. There's a lot more diversity within Christian nationalism. That's right. So when I hear Christian nationalism, I'm thinking like white evangelical, really patriotic. Yeah. Conservative. Sure. But you were saying it's more complicated than that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's different versions of Christian nationalism. And I mean, you can go uh, political right, political left, third way somewhere in the middle. And the whole notion of nationalism, I think some people have a very negative perspective to it. Just nationalism itself, not Christian nationalism. Some people have a very negative perspective to it. Yeah. Some people have a positive perspective to it. And it's one of those slippery slope uh, terminologies that there's no real consensus on the definition per se. I mean, you know, it's related to nation. It's an ideology. Is <laughs> it good? Is it bad? How did it come about? So there's whole, yeah. this whole history behind it that I find it very interesting. And uh, like yourself, uh, Christian nationalism wasn't in my purview. Like when I started uh, my PhD, that wasn't anything that I wanted to to touch on. And I didn't even know what that, that meant. Um, it wasn't until I started talking to uh, one of the leaders. His name is Thor Madsen. He's a uh, ethics professor at Midwestern uh, that uh, the thought came about. And because uh, I'm a bivocational, I actually work in the U.S. Senate down in, in D.C. And of course, you, you guys knew what happened mm -hmm. on January 6th with uh, the rioters and everything so that that kind of yeah uh began that that whole idea well you know that wasn't my thought but i think this is important so i'm going to try to investigate at least uh what this whole concept is and if this is interesting enough yeah take the plunge and try to figure this out <laughs> yeah so that, what well, you told me you work there yeah so you're working in with in a government position that's right also being a pastor that's right. That's perfect because it kind of coincides with your interest with your, your research focus. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, even so, my, my thesis for the master's too, I did it on um, um, illegal immigration too. So that kind of went along with public theology and that whole. So I figure, you know, I'll just stick with what I've yeah. done before. And that's probably the safe way to. I did the same thing. There's no reason. <laughs> Once you've got something you're like you've already gotten into, there's no reason to start something new. So That's my this and my PhD dissertation were very similar. Um, mm -hmm. Same same person actually, just different sort of. Yeah. So I'm doing something like similar. Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing something very similar. Um, so in this case, um, because I kind of had a, a bit of an understanding of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German Lutheran, which I did my thesis, I figured, well, you know, I'm gonna. I'm going to utilize this cat here because I know a little bit yeah. about him. But at the same time, you know, there's this big talk about Abraham Kuyper and uh, obviously his history with public theology. And he's big on it. And then he has a, a lot of influence here in the United States in terms of uh, so for our listeners, because um, Kuyper is a huge and important figure in the Christian nationalism. Just give us a brief synopsis of, of Kuyper. Well, Kuiper, he was he was an interesting figure, right? He's a Dutch uh, Reformed uh, Calvinistic guy. So 
he was not only a theologian, he was actually, he started his own newspaper. He was prime minister of Netherlands. He started his own Christian denomination. So he is a pretty impressive figure and he has a big footprint in, in politics and um, what he means to be a Christian uh, in government, right? So he has all these different concepts of sphere sovereignty and all these um, things that uh, have been brought here to the United States, particularly at Princeton Seminary, right? Which yeah. he gave the, the lectures. And I think Calvin Seminary or Calvin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Calvin he's over there too. Yeah. Yeah, um, I was at Westminster for THN. Mm -hmm. Westminster broke away from Princeton in 1927 or 29 because mm -hmm. of liberalism. And so when did yeah. Kuiper die? When, when was Kuiper's career? Um, I think early um, 90s. Like he was dead by the time I think that started. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think um, he was during the time of B.B. Warfield. Apparently, yeah. yeah. Warfield was a big fan of Kuiper. So... Probably have to look it up at that particular. 19th. Yeah, no, that's what I was saying. Late eighteen hundreds. Yeah. So when so Westminster, the professors at Westminster were, were first professors at Princeton, who had who studied under. So we're talking Machen, J. Gresham Machen, uh, Van Til, um, John Murray. They would have studied under B.B. Warfield. They would have studied Kuiper. So when I went to Westminster, there was this little bit of a conflict mm -hmm. between Kuiper, Van Til. And these different apologetics, these different understandings of where theology fit. Then you've got Westminster in California, which has its own view of sphere so, uh, sovereignty and nationalism and uh, Christian dominionism and all that stuff. So our listeners aren't are going to recognize these, but they're they are operating on the tradition, like their yeah. our understanding of how Christians operate within politics was not developed by ourselves. 10 years ago when we got out of college or, or seminary, we were right. handed it by somebody else. So we've learned how to operate within politics and as Christians and as citizens. The question we need to be asking is where do we learn it from? What are we learning from them? And are there other ways of learning and other ways of interacting? And so I think your work with Kuiper, because Kuiper, he was different. Um, good and bad. Some of the, he was, he was really good with some things. Yeah. Other stuff. I think off but but he was a deep thinker who was thinking very carefully about how christian interacts so I, right. I think the last time we talked we talked about patriotism versus nationalism right 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 uh, do you have a working thesis on that yet on the yeah so i think the the whole notion i think uh, then we talk about um george Orwell that uh, he had this differentiation of what patriotism is and some you know he didn't see an issue with patriotism. For him, patriotism was a love for our country, which sometimes could be healthy. And then unless you don't overdo it, it becomes idolatrous. Uh, that that is fine. But he also undergirded nationalism with this notion of like you know, um, in a negative sense, right? He saw that you know as as tribal per se, and then it has this notion of power grab. It has something to do with wanting to have um, power or political power and 
he saw it in a in a negative perspective. But again, like I told, like I said, uh, you know, when I started studying a little bit of this and this whole idea of nationalism, it's a it's a slippery slope term. I mean, some people have a negative version view of it. Some people have a positive view of it. You know, there's nothing wrong with nationalism per se, and the idea of you know having nations and people being together and share you know something in common, whether it is religion, it is ethnicity, it is you know, language, but as long as it is not pervaded in a way that it is negative, then, you know, why is that a bad thing? You know, when you couple two terms and Christianity, Christian and nationalism, I mean, they're two markers and obviously Christianity isn't a bad thing, is a good thing. And nationalism could be a good thing. So, I mean, they should be helping. I mean, they one term pretty much uh, helps the other term. So they're both looking for the common good. So why should Christian nationalism be a bad thing? And of course, you know, some people do, Chris, uh, you know, have a negative perspective on Christian nationalism because people have pervaded uh, the whole notion of it. You know, they, they're more interested in, in the nation, the appropriate Christianity, uh, yeah. as opposed to the other way around, they're using Christianity. So in that sense, yeah, neg- you know, Christian nationalism from that standpoint, it is a negative thing. So, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'm looking forward to chapters as you get them out because, yeah, because I'm still working through it myself. Like, I've got some pretty strong views, but I'm not. I haven't gone down the path far enough. And I think people in general, hopefully, you can get it published. Well. You, know, it's you, like, put some, like, you gotta put some real juicy stuff. Yeah, it's like one of those things, Matt. It's when when you start looking into it, you don't think there's a lot of it written, but it's like it's like looking at a car. You know, I think I'm gonna buy the Subaru accent. I like it. I don't think there's too many of it. Then you start looking in the parking lot, there's a whole bunch of those. And yeah. it's like with the whole topic of yeah. nationalism and the Christian nationalism, there's a whole bunch of people that's written on it, but yet, you know, it's it's still interesting. I don't know anybody that has tried to and anybody have tried to marry Bonhoeffer, Kuiper, and Aristotle. So I mean, like that's gonna be my uh, <laughs> my contribution I mean, there. So that that's gonna be that's a great combination. Um, so I'm gonna try because to because they all know that. So if you can pray for me and try so I can figure out how this is gonna pan out, sure. then that'll be great. And for our, our listeners, there's no gatekeeping for being a pastor or for being a ministry, but going to interact politics you need to have read aristotle you need to have read bonhoeffer and you need to have read kuiper you don't need to get a degree in it you don't need to take a class on it but you need to be familiar with these terms because they it's hard to operate within our political climate without having these sources to draw from so before you read peter's book when he gets it published do a little bit of research now and just read some short articles at least on what Aristotle thought because he shaped the Western world, what Kuiper thought because he was in this unique position, uh, what Bonhoeffer thought, because I mean, it's a great story anyway, but he was, you know, he had a lot of cross-cultural and cross-national uh, studies. You know, he came to America. So yeah, that's, that's, that's really fascinating. You know, well, he, um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm, I was going to say that Bonhoeffer fought a, a negative Christian nationalism or German Christian yeah. Yeah, German uh, nationalism in that effect. I mean, he was against uh, the, the, I guess we call it the Third Reich Church. Or yeah, the Third Church. That they call it. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, fascism was was happy to adopt. Yeah. Christianity as a tool. 
All right, man. This was great. Um, I'm not going to be there this week, but I'm going to try to get back maybe next week to jujitsu. Like he's on my, he's on my calendar. Like I've got it scheduled yeah. every week. You know, as a matter of fact, my, you know, it's good that I, obviously I go, I try to go three times a week. Yeah. Uh, I was supposed to go today, but last, as I get older last week, this guy, um, nice guy, blue belt, he went hard on me. And I, you know, I try not to go very hard because right. the blue belt and, and what's the point of, but sometimes they just want to kill you they want to test themselves they want to yeah, if i can do yeah. this and then against got on top of me you went so hard that i went to pull my arm i heard this cracking when i I'm like oh no <laughs> oh no and this is sore and used to take like a week to get better now that i'm 46 it's taking longer to get better it's kind of frustrating yeah. <laughs> uh, i'll be 40 next year so I'm, I'm starting to feel a little bit of the delayed delayed uh healing yeah some of these young you go in there some of these young guys they're like 19 yeah, and there's a they stop. So. All right, well, I'll see you soon. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on. No, I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at historyandhope.com or message us on Twitter at historyandhope. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or any podcast app of your choice.